There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 11th of May 2010. For the newcomers, I suggest, at least for the meantime, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Bookmark all the other sites I have up there because I do have problems with the com site right now. Yahoo's trying to get me off. So bookmark the other sites for future use in case I do go off. And that way you can get the latest shows for free for download. While you're at it, look at the books I have for sale and the CDs and the discs because you're the audience that keeps me going. I don't take money from advertisers. The ads on this show are paid directly by advertisers to RBM to broadcast the show and for the technical staff, equipment and the actual transmission itself. So it's up to you to keep me going and you can do so by say buying the things I have for sale or donating to me and that helps me just maybe sometimes uh, cover the bills that come in here. Now remember, from the U.S. to Canada, personal check is good. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office. And you can send MoneyGram, Western Union. Some people just send cash. And uh, that gets through to me. Across the world, same idea. You can use Western Union, MoneyGram, cash, or PayPal for donations or for purchasing. You want to use PayPal, just send a separate email with your name, address, and order to me, along with the PayPal donation, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. Lots of folks get disc burned by people on computers to play on their CD players. They don't use computers. I don't blame them. We know where it's all going. And uh, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P, as in Peter, 3, E for Elizabeth, 4, N as in Nora, 1. P3E4N1. And as I said before last night, uh, Yahoo has put a choke on my upload as a way to do, to sort of put me off uh, using them all together, it would seem. They still want the money off me, of course, and I'm paying for unlimited disk space, but uh, they want me to uh, reduce my uploads, which is only about 12 megabytes per week, uh, 60 megabytes per week, I think, uh, maximum. It's not de- it's not videos I'm putting up here. It's just audios. So, as I say, when you're not authorized to be out there putting out the information, and you are definitely getting through to an awful lot of people over the years, that's how the real forces come against you. If they can't do it legally in some way or another, or defaming you in some way, they simply make it hard for you to operate. And that's happened to other people before me, I know that. And I've had troubles with uh, different servers before on the same, the same problem. But at least this time they've actually admitted, and it's on the website cuttingthroughmatrix.com, my queries to them and my responses from them, where they admit they've actually put a max upload speed of 40 kilobits per second. So that's what they do to you. Uh, it's up there for you to go and see. And 
tonight, tonight, so to get back on the topic of things that really matter while we can talk about them, I should really like to talk about the amount of mail I get from people who are always asking, when is the, the grand finale going to come? They still think in apocalyptic, almost biblical terminology where some big ending comes here and all works out in some big battlefield and there's different sides in upheaval with each other. And that's not the way it works. It works very slowly, in fact. It works intergenerationally. And you don't realize you've been going through. And so your parents plan changes per generation for the last couple of hundred years at least. Very well planned, too. Back after the following messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix, just addressing something that happens to most people when they, uh, their, their bubble bursts for some reason or another, some crisis comes into their life and they start to ask questions, sometimes for the first time, at least seriously. And before they think about things seriously, they go along with the flow. Everyone goes along with the, the time period in which they're born. They go along with the conditioning they're born into and you are born into Conditioning, it's there at the beginning. Your parents were conditioned before you, and you don't know that um, they themselves were, were conditioned from their parents and their schooling. And if you go back into the, uh, the writings of people who were brought over to set up the educational systems across Europe, it's quite fascinating to see that they really had a coordinated plan to uh, bring up what they called... Um, not servile citizens, but very obedient citizens who would go along with the dominant minority's plan for each country. The writings of Webster is quite fascinating when he talks about this. He talks about making uh, the U.S. citizen uh, a very obedient, uh, loyal, but he stressed the obedience part of the, the citizen. And, of course, everyone who rules, a dominant minority always wants a fairly passive society who won't question things too deeply, who will be quite happy, uh, or at least fairly happy with the wages they get, the lifestyle and the class that they're, that they're aligned, uh, assigned to. And that's how rulership goes. It's interesting looking into the writings of Huxley and listening to even the Berkeley speech by Aldous Huxley, where he talks about uh, the dominant minority. He said, there's always been a dominant minority, and I expect there always will be. Of course, he came from a long lineage himself, going back to the Norman era and the Norman invasion of, of England. And they were the conquerors who, to this day, in fact, still really uh, rule England uh, through royalty and so on. But they made it clear in their writings, being uh, the descendants of these long lineages, that have often been in and out of royal courts or parliaments or scientific groups. Uh, scientific groups especially were designed or set up on behalf of the royal governments. Um, he, he was a spokesman in a sense, as was his brother, uh, Julian Huxley, about the future that, that the planners, and they were planners themselves, were involved in the big planning for the future. They were involved in setting up the systems that we're now living through today. But it's 
fascinating to see how many acquaintances that the Huxleys had all involved in the same projects of creating a new society. Uh, this gained momentum through the eugenics movement that was on the go for a long time. And Julian Huxley, in fact, changed the name from eugenics to transhumanism. It sounded gentler, especially after World War II and Hitler, because Hitler based his whole ideas on eugenics and the death camps on the writings of Darwin and others who advocated the fact that the, the lesser types might outbreed the better types, and so they would have to be eliminated eventually. Uh, Darwin and others belonged to an era uh, of the Royal Society. The Royal Society was commissioned by royalty itself to exist as the, the premier voice for all scientific uh, investigations, designed and directed investigations towards solving this problem for the elite, how to manage people and how to keep them in check in a population uh, and that type of stuff. And we've gone from transhumanism and eugenics into what they also call bioethics. Bioethics is a more modern, kinder term for various professors and universities who are on the cutting edge of genetics, at least they think they are. I'm sure there's ones much higher above them in special places well-funded that uh, are way ahead of anything taught in university level. But bioethics sounds kinder and gentler and Part of the big plan from the very beginning was how uh, how can they find ways to stop people from becoming agitated, uh, forming groups, um, forming even the unions, the early unions that they saw starting to emerge uh, in the early 1900s, in the 2000s, as you say, 20th century, and how to maintain the, the power balance and they thought they could they could try and sterilize the people as much as possible without them knowing it. That was a big deal because they realized that the male and the female in a marriage formed a small tribe with the family, and they would, as they well knew from long experience, eventually rebel against overburdened taxes or whatever it happened to be that the ones at the top wanted to take from them. So if you took away the reasons for fighting... Uh, then and created a form of apathy and even um, Bertrand Russell said a form of apathy and um, narcissism, egocentrism, where people would just simply have the world revolving around them. They wouldn't care about those around them. Then it would be very difficult to get people to bond together in a common battle against injustice. Many, many meetings were held across the world. They still are annually and sometimes biannually. And uh, there are many, many associations involved in every country across the world. There are members from Japan, China, Australia, all over uh, attend these world meetings on depopulation. Now, naturally, we see the, the people like Bill Gates, who's in the media all the time now, being the great philanthropist he supposedly is, uh, putting so much money out and meeting in the billionaires club, in the newspapers, talking about depopulation and using medicine or vaccines to do so, uh, as he's talking about helping the people at the same time doublespeak. It's always been the agenda for the elite, you understand, to bring the population down to this manageable size. But part of it, too, was, as I say, to take away the drives, the instinctive drives in human nature that cause us to fight in the first place. 
and makes, make us aggressive towards those who are aggressive towards us. Sterilization seemed a simple way to do it. And they talked about, um, Charles Galton Darwin talked about in his book, The Next Million Years, he talked about uh, ways to basically use hormones, for instance, to alter the physiology of the male and how they could introduce it in water, food, and various other means. Um, they, they could do the same with the female. Now, it's no secret, as I say, it's no secret whatsoever since it's published every year from the UN itself on its statistics uh, to do with uh, population, and they mention that the, the male sperm count is down by about 85% of what it was in 1950. That doesn't happen by chance, as I mentioned last night. It's done by design. And many young people, too, many young men, are losing their sexual drive uh, before they're 30, which is, again, a new phenomena. Well, you, can, you must tie that in with the writings, again, of Charles Galton, Darwin, and others who talked about this very need and why they would, they would want to do this. And why isn't it a crisis, for instance? Why isn't it a crisis? It's not a crisis because, you see, it's planned. That's why no one's making any big deal about it. I've gone on about the bisphenol A and other chemicals that are in the plastic bottles that they made awfully popular. Don't go away without your little uh, spring water bottle, and they made a big big uh, fad of it. And uh, meanwhile, people were sopping up this uh, bisphenol A and other chemicals, and they knew from the 1800s uh, what this did to the to the male especially. And they also knew it reduced their sperm count. They also had this stuff in all the different shampoos and cosmetics that women were putting on themselves during pregnancy. And they also knew, as in the early 1900s, um, what this did on the male fetus between the ages of 8 and 12 weeks, vital period. It literally would interfere for life with the production of sperm in that young, that uh, baby. So nothing happens by chance uh, when the evidence is there. Why would they go and, and promote the very things that cause sterilization and asexuality, you might say, uh, unless it suits their agenda, which of course it does. But another big part of their planning in their world meetings was to talk about the century of change. They, they had planned and changed the 20th century, but they had planned for the 21st century to be the culmination of all of this. During the 20th century, they tried their best to bring the whole world together through a free trade system under a global governance system. That's what the UN was set up for. And in effect, too, that's why World War I and II took take place. Um, they needed wars to bring us to our knees and get everyone bonded together in regions under a singular uh, governmental system. They set up the United Nations, at least the founders, of the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the CFR set up the UN to be a front group. And part of this century of change was to be an age of singularities, like they call it, where they would train everyone in the same exact way using new technology. Technology was to be pushed to the fore. Now, that's all of technology, remember. That's not just uh, playing with computers and uh, chips that get implanted in you. It's also uh, the sciences, the chemistry of your body, uh, hormones and everything else was to be severely attacked. Now remember, again, going back to the writings of Charles Galton Darwin, 
the next million years. He said in there too that man is essentially a wild creature. And that's natural. That's how he survived this long. He also um, maintained that the royal families, just like his ancestor before him, Charles, the royal families were the natural inheritors of the planet because they had, had through special breeding, by having their mates selected for them from other uh, winners in, of warring tribes over many, many centuries, they were the natural leaders. They were the epitome of evolution. And they should still remain as the dominant minority and all the relatives. Now I hear the music coming in, but I'll, I'll carry on with this after the break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, just talking about the agenda as it unfolds because as I say, people look towards some final cataclysm and hope someone jumps in to save them and that kind of thing or a hero comes along like the movies and makes it all better for you and it doesn't work like that, you see, because those who are not conscious will go down with the, the ship, you might say. And it's only the ones who are conscious that are able to do anything about it and even communicate to others who have the ability to at least start learning what's really going on and to break their paradigm, their paradigm that's been instilled in them by the media and the hype and all the the wonderful things that they're seeing about the coming technologies. Uh, The other night I watched a a movie, for instance, uh, a, a DVD on Digital Nation, uh, and I saw the same kind of rah-rah characters that we saw back when they were pushing the drugs uh, in Britain, uh, when it was all coming into vogue, and how wonderful it was, and how exciting this new this new teenage generation was going to be, and uh, and really the whole thing was to break the bonds partly of the pre-existing structure of society and family unity, and believe you me, when you're out of control of your own life. Uh, you're under the control of authorities because these are the ones who step in and take over, which they certainly did, in fact, with all the fallout and the chaos that ensued. But the same kind of characters were on the Digital Nation uh, promoting the very occupations they were involved in, obviously, which was uh, the coming interconnectedness of everyone, all connected together, one big beehive, and how wonderful it was going to be. Well, let's jump back again to Charles Galton, Darwin's book, The Next Million Years. And he said that man essentially is a wild animal, as I've said before. And he praised royalty, etc., for, for conquering peoples down through the centuries, intermarrying the winners, other kings, daughters, that kind of stuff. In other words, the psychopathic types who maintained power, and therefore they had the right to rule over the lessers and do as they wished with the lessers and, if necessary, cull them off if they became a threat to their betters. When you join all that together, you understand what the singularity really is all about because, as I say, they had, they've had so many global meetings about ways to make people give up their individuality. And that's where the singularity all comes in. Everyone interconnected, everyone trained that there is no privacy. Not only trained, but most youngsters today don't even think about it. You see, they've been trained through school, through the last couple of generations. 
I've already had people growing up, going into school, being searched, going through uh, scanning machines, all training them long before 9-11 and what happened then uh, to get ready for the future that they would grow up into. You understand? This is how it was done. And they used the guise of drugs and so on uh, as an excuse to do all that. They always train you in advance of what's to come. And they always go for the youth first. And that particular generation were also the generation that were given their own personal credit cards, the end thing at school. Snob appeal was put into it, different types and classes of cards, and that affects the parents because the marketers got on it in, in the act too to create the snob appeal. Oh, your child doesn't have a credit card. Oh, oh, and that kind of stuff, you see. We're always trained, always trained, apart from the media and entertainment and everything else that goes along with this. But the singularity, as I saw it in this particular documentary on Digital Nation, was more frightening, really, because they showed you the addiction of even seven-year-old children to their games. They couldn't get off these games. They spend the whole day and night, just like uh, just like Aldous Huxley talking at Berkeley when he made his little humorous comment about the rats, where they'd inserted... Um, wires into their, the brain centers of the pleasure principle where they'd feel um, tremendous sexual orgasms and they'd eventually they'd rather die than press the lever for food. And he chuckled, of course, because that, that appealed to his mind. Well, when you see these youngsters being addicted in the same for, 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 uh, sort of way by, by forces which they don't even understand, they're affecting them. Believe you me, there are people who design these games who do know how it's affecting them. They certainly do. And what's interesting, too, is that their self-evaluation of their own worth and of our abilities of multitasking was completely out of whack with reality. They interviewed different ones who thought they could do texting, computer work, and talk on the phone at the same time, and a whole bunch of things. And when they tested them in actual tests, they found they were not good at any single one task they were, they were attempting to do. So it's definitely altering their perceptions of themselves and giving them a false sense of who they are. But that's a singularity where they're all sitting quietly, all together, and no one talks to anyone anymore. That's a scary thing if you came from another world or planet or time and saw that children sitting right next to each other, lines and lines of computers, and each one sitting with their mouth wide open and fascinated by that light, that light that shines on their face. That's all part of the system, as I say, and they're being trained to have no privacy. You don't want privacy. Um, they're also being trained, of course, in reality that they can be losers, as they play their games and play their games, they're never, how many people can you get at the top as a winner in anything? Doesn't happen. And then you tie that in with all the different um, uh, shows you have on TV, like Survivor, where people get together, compete, 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 and then they throw out the ones who are the failures, the ones who don't make it. Does it really help your self-worth playing games? Of course not. Who does it benefit those who rule you? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, this is Alan Watt again, and we're cutting through the matrix, just talking about how we're trained intergenerationally for the next step and the next step and the next step. I mentioned before about the, the, the great uh, drug era where people who uh, is now admitted to belong to the CIA were going around giving tours at universities um, about the, the wonders of LSD and so on. To, this is all meant to fracture the exact society as it already existed, especially the bonding and what they called the traditional family. And it certainly had an effect because afterwards, and their free love period as they called it, and all the mayhem that ensued with it too, and the things that came out of it, which we all know about as well, um, you had the classifications, reclassifications of the new family. The new family, we're still getting classifications of even newer families, different kinds of families. So they were very successful there. The next step was also, and it overlaps, they always overlap one step with the next, obviously, since they're training, they're always going for the young ones, especially in, in any particular generation. And you have this overlap of them being trained to be egocentric, exactly as was planned, narcissistic, um, me, 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 the me generation. And uh, they're, they're not really so concerned with, about each other. They have shallower affect towards each other, mainly because you can't really be real when you're communicating uh, to another person. Uh, when they're maybe a hundred miles away or thousands of miles away, you're, you're never really yourself. There's a whole bunch of different languages, such as body languages and so on, that you can only see when you're sitting next to a person, not some makeup doll called a virtual you in a virtual world. That's not you at all. It's completely fake. But the idea is to make you want more and more of this and get it more realistic until you'll feel that you are that virtual doll. Can you imagine... Which was interesting too, how the marketers got guys to play with dolls, for instance. Because little boys are boys, you see, and they don't want to play with dolls. And they had the Barbie dolls out and all that kind of stuff. Well, they just sat down and said, okay, you know, like any psychologist, let's study the boy. What's the boy? What's different about him? What's his mentality? He wants to be rugged, independent. He wants to be a little fighter and so on. And so you make, you give him an action man. You don't give him a doll, you give him an action man. And because he has peer pressure with his own group, you give him a uniform, you see, which is obviously a military uniform. So he plays with an action man dressed up in a military uniform. Now he's playing with a doll. He's still playing with a doll. They get what they want. Your perception has been altered so easily. And now they have adults. Well, do adults play with dolls? No. What do they give them? A virtual world where you get basically uh, a figure of a doll and you dress it up. You're playing with dolls. And then other dolls come in and you have all these different people acting, adults acting with each other through dolls, basically. And they really think they know each other as dolls. And it's absolutely fascinating to see how this is working with different ones in society. There's always a, a segment, get hooked right away. Always a segment. They get hooked on whatever they're given, in, in fact, and what's been promoted to them. And the, the more unhappy you can be made to feel, the more they want to escape. And by the way, in marketing, they don't use the word escape. It's escapism is a bad word. They have other terms for it, you see, uh, which are positive terms. Because that's how they work, by altering your perception on everything. 
whenever you get to the core of some nasty business, they simply bring out new terminology and doesn't sound so bad, just like eugenics, of course, and the master race, to transhumanism, which is the same group ongoing, by the way, and also to their professors, their bioethicists, the ones who suddenly appeared out of nowhere when Dolly the Sheep was first presented to the public, and they said, look at this wonderful Dolly, this clone. And uh, then they went into the, the pre-planned debates they'd have on television about it, all pre-planned to make us go back to sleep thinking, well, thank God there's a group of experts dealing with this problem that's eventually going to be foisted upon us, this genetic tampering. That's how easy can, easily it is to control the people. As soon as they say there's experts there and they have a nice demeanors and they seem concerned about it all, then we can go back to sleep and play. Because we've been taught to play, you see. Not to participate, but to play. Along authorized means and methods of playing. Always from the top. The planned society, that's what the century of change is. The end of nations, of course, was a big part of it too. And, and we've had exposés from Britain as the prototype, really, where it not only led the amalgamation of the British Commonwealth countries together and the free flow of people, supposedly, uh, which wasn't so free after all, but also the, they have the, the, um, the end of the family unit, as we know it really is. It's an absolute shambles. And if you're watching BBC television and the dramas they put on, uh, there's nothing in it that would make you bond with anybody for very long or even at all, the way some of these characters are portrayed. That's all authorized from the top. Believe you me, if the ones at the top, the dominant minority, did not want a particular type of society, uh, you, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be shown. It would never get off the ground. Everything is authorized from the top down. Plato, an aristocrat in ancient Greece, said the same thing. That there's always the dominant minority, and if something that was truly grassroots sprung up, they'd have to squash it unless they could use it to their advantage. Because any unforeseen ripples coming from the grassroots could have unforeseen consequences on the control by the elite. It's always been that way. And he said they used drama to influence the masses, the stage plays, and music, and fashion as well. Because people mimic what they see. Always been known. But again, back to the youngsters today, they're, they think they're connected, but they're not connected. Because in reality, you're lucky to get through life and really hold on to two or three friends. I mean friends. Friends are people who know you intimately and who will stand up for you under any circumstances and vice versa. And you don't have to guess what they look like or guess what they really are through some silly doll avatar. Made by a programmer, by the way. It's not the person whatsoever. This also was discussed by various kinds of professors and scientists who were into information technology years ago, and some became very famous, like Marshall McLuhan, who was eventually brought down to the U.S. Now, I have no doubt a lot of his work went to the Pentagon because anything to do with controlling people and futurism, as they say, how they could blend technology for control purposes 
and when you talk about the mind, how it would change, how it would affect society, is immediately snapped up and generally funded through uh, the big forces like the Pentagon. We forget even the internet was given to us because they'd already used it for warfare purposes for many years before, and they didn't give it out to us so we could break free from finding some other way to live. They knew where they were going to take it and how we were going to live in the future. That's why we were given it. It would all be monitored, a totally controlled society. And they have the little dolls of us, little avatars made up already in the Pentagon. I've read the articles from the Pentagon where your daily information, all your communique, is fed into it. Daily fed into it to update your little avatar so you could be predictable. And they can actually do it so well. They can feed questions into it and problems. And if you uh, were going to do a particular thing, how would you respond and set up these little demonstrations? And they're generally correct. They have so much information on you. The big companies, as we well know, the the biggest servers and so on, and Google and the search engines are all part of the military-industrial complex. That's who funds research and development through them. We fund it, really, through government, and it goes through them to particular areas to maintain control and always guide control of off and over society. But youngsters today have no idea what privacy is. None, none whatsoever. And they've been taught that it doesn't really matter. In fact, they're being taught by the social behaviorists and psychologists that privacy means you're a bad person, you're anti-social. I've talked about this before, how they're using the same techniques they used in China. In China, uh, for abortion, for instance, a second child... It was mandatory you get an abortion, and they used to use the local militia who would drag off the, the woman and tear to the clinic. Now they don't have to do it. The, they've trained the citizenry through schooling so well that they will come, their neighbors will come and grab you and take you off to the clinic. I think the BBC and other, other companies have done documentaries on this. And it's called creating social approval and social disapproval. The people are utterly, completely indoctrinated and trained. Your child will take food from someone else's mouth. And we're getting the hints now of the same kind of thing in the Western societies since we went into this great information age, which is nothing more than surveillance age. Total surveillance on everyone. And it hasn't stopped. We haven't even got halfway there yet to where they're going to take us. They won't have a safe society until every person is completely predictable and under observation 24 hours per day. That's where it's going. And most folk don't mind. And those people are gone. So really, shows like this are only for the ones who have the ability to retain some semblance of themselves and have some kind of chance maybe just for themselves maybe for others too and as I said nothing is given to the public nothing is given to the public that could be to the detriment of the dominant minority 
Nothing. And all those things you think come out of nowhere because, oh, they just don't have regulations out to stop it yet and stuff like that. It's all bunkum. Research and development into these areas is carefully selected for go-aheads by a dominant minority. And the repercussions of them are thought out in think tanks and hammered out before they say it's of use to the dominant minority for control. Here's an example here. This is from Wise Up Journal, and that was the the, the 1st of March, 2010. They, they got an article here from the Daily Mail in Britain. Facial recognition phone application described as a stalker's dream. A prototype camera phone application that enables the user to find names and numbers of complete strangers has been labelled a stalker's dream. The application called Recognizer has been developed to find personal information through facial recognition software. The user simply has to take a picture of a person and hit the recognize button. You'll be standing in a bar, sitting in a cafe, on a bus, whatever. The photo is then compared to shots on social networking sites, including Facebook and Twitter. What a coincidence, eh? Before personal information, which can include phone numbers, addresses, and email addresses, is sent to the user. The software developer of the Swedish company, is called The Astonishing Tribe, is currently testing the software which works on phones with a camera of 5 or more megapixel resolution. Simon Davis from Privacy International said it takes the dangers that already exist and increases them indefinitely or infinitely. There are also fears the application could lead to an increase in people being stalked by those who have obtained their personal information. Who really benefits from this? Who do you think benefits? Because, you see, everyone with one of these phones, these phones are sending the data back to security agencies, your own government agencies as well, all the time. Dr. Ian Brown from the Oxford Internet Institute said, a guy could take a picture of a girl in a bar and find out all sorts of information. Ian Brown from the Oxford Internet Institute said, well, he said that, he says it twice here. Tov Gaffney from the security software firm F-Secure added, this application looks like it could be a stalker's dream. And then the full article link is on here too. And remember too, I put these links from these articles up on my site at the end of the show. If uh, the satellite guys who are also after me give me enough upload speed and then have to contend with Yahoo's choke on my site, but I'll try and get them up tonight. It just takes twice as long as that's how they try and wear you down. It says here, first came Facebook, which connects you with close friends, close friends really, and schoolmates you don't really talk to anymore. Then came Twitter, where you could follow and be followed by complete strangers. So it was perhaps inevitable that the ever-evolving Internet would push the social boundaries one step further, resulting in chat roulette. Chat roulette is a service that puts you face-to-face with a random stranger via your webcam. You then have the choice of either chatting to them or disconnecting and being matched with another user from around the globe. It's like shopping, isn't it? It's like shopping. And you think you're safe. You think, you think you're safe. I stress, think. And it goes on and on. It says, Hal Neidsvicki, author of The Peep Diaries, said, Charlotte is start because it feels like television. It's like sitting in front of the TV flipping channels, except the people are real. Let's connect this with another one here. We know what the military is about. I hope you know what the military is about. Is there to serve the dominant minority 
and people who are trained, especially young boys who go right from school into the military, maybe have a couple of years of unemployment, then they go in. It's generally the class that go into it. And they're suddenly a somebody. That used to be the, the slogan for advertising for the military for recruitment was be somebody, you see. Be all you can be. I should spell it B-E-E, all you can be. But this article here is from Wired. It says, Pentagon turns to brain implants to repair damaged minds. Now, that's just how they lead off the article, remember. Uh, an estimated 10 to 20% of troops coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan are suffering from traumatic brain injuries, or TBIs, which affects 1.7 million Americans every year. Now the Pentagon's rolling out a revolutionary initiative to treat the condition. Brain implants that one researcher likens to replacement parts for damaged grey matter. And then they go through the usual stuff from the usual bioengineers and usual universities like Stanford and so on. And it says, our goal is to understand and then to be able to change how a brain responds to trauma. Well, they're working about how the brain can be made to respond to anything is what they're doing. It says, no surprise that military extreme science agency DARPA, you know, those lovely guys that are monitoring all of you and have all your data and have already used a brain chip and maybe a few, in fact, in different paraplegics, because they care about paraplegics. That's what DARPA's there for. That's what the Pentagon's there for, of course, isn't it, folks? Isn't it? It says DARPA's behind the project, which is called Repair and Reorganization and Plasticity to Accelerate Injury Recovery. And that's the music coming in. And I'll go on with more of this after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix, just reading an article here from Wired. Uh, and they always present this from the military, that they're out to help people. You know, my whole life I've watched uh, charities, money, investigations into curing various diseases. I haven't seen a single disease cured in my entire life. But I've certainly seen what they can do to people with their technologies and so on. Because that's the real aim of all of this stuff. And they talk about these electrodes they're going to put into the injured soldiers' brains, they say. And then they go on to tell you the truth down below, that eventually this will have many civilian applications as well. You see, that's what it's all about, to pinpoint literally specific neurons and stimulate them with these pulses of light and so on. Let's jump back to Aldous Huxley's little laughter period when he talked about how they could insert wires in, in his day into the brains of animals and humans, by the way, because he, he went to Tavistock, where they actually did this on humans, and have them in a wonderful state of orgasm, orgasm perpetually, so much so they'd give up food uh, rather than give up the stimulation. How would you feel if it'd be your neurons are being stimulated in a situation where no, you're no longer the wild animal that can survive a wild animal needs all of its survival instincts intact. The elite have said only they will need them because the state will be making all their decisions for you, the people. So how would you feel going around in some happy little fog when really you should be terrified at your life and running in some direction rather than staring at some kind of screen or something that seems to be happening in your mind that totally controls society 
is what it's all about. Not to help poor guys who've had brain injuries. They're just the guinea pigs for all of us. Now, there's a caller from Oklahoma. It's Chris. Are you there, Chris? Oh, hi, Alan. Yes. Uh, Alan, yeah, I wanted to, uh, uh, if anybody doubts that the uh, population control agenda is, is, is going on, they can take a look at a, a document that's available on the Internet. Uh, it's a Memorandum 200. It was uh, declassified in 1980. It was uh, um, put out by Henry Kissinger in 1974. And it, that's right. I've got it on my site, in fact, in the archives. Yep. Yeah, and if you go in and look at this, it uh, it, it goes into, uh, like in Section 4, it goes uh, um, the provision for development of family planning services, information and technology, research and to improve fertility control technology, mm-hmm. development of low-cost delivery systems, and, uh, and you know, basically how they're going to bring about the reduction in the population, and if, and if you... Uh, take a look at that, and then go to um, a website. Um, it, it's GaviAlliance.org. It's the Global Alliance for Vaccinations and Immunizations, mm-hmm. and you'll see the exact same groups that are listed in the uh, memorandum, memorandum 200 yep. are um, also uh, members of this uh, uh, vaccination Alliance, and that's, yeah. uh, that includes uh, UNICEF, the World Bank, uh, World Health Organization, and uh, they're all in there. So They're all in there. You're absolutely dead on there. They're all interconnected because they're all getting funded from the same sources, and they're all chosen by the same people that choose them for all the different groups. Yeah, And they, they don't ask for volunteers to do it because... Uh, they know they won't get the volunteers, so they have to do it through stealth and deceit, and they think it's their right to do that, being the dominant minority. Yeah. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.